Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yaraga and Turbul people whose sovereignty was never ceded. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Nasty Woman Club. We are finally back and today is my first episode that is an interview and I cannot wait to share with you all this week's guest. But the story of how I came across this guest goes a few months back. So, in an attempt to distract myself from washing the dishes one day, I decided to scroll through all my social media apps, as you do when you're trying to procrastinate. I went through my Instagram, my TikTok, my Facebook, and then finally my Twitter. And then as I made my way to Twitter, I noticed a particular post going viral. As soon as I read it, I knew I had to speak to the woman behind the now iconic Twitter post. She lived all the way in America, but I knew instantly I had to somehow get her on my podcast. So, you're probably wondering, what is it that she said that caught my attention? Well, this is what she said. Disabled people can be sexual beings. We aren't undesirable. We can be sexy. We can be alluring. Being disabled doesn't exclude us from these things. People genuinely think disabled people don't have sex. Just like my joints! This coochie pops. Thanks. The woman's name behind this incredibly honest, badass post was Tiona Studemeyer. She's a 23-year-old writer that just happens to have EDS, chronic fatigue syndrome, ADHD, and autism. She writes about her experiences with having several disabilities on her Twitter page and blog. Not only that, But she talks about a range of topics that's not spoken about enough in the media, including medical trauma in the black community, being diagnosed as autistic as an adult, and sex toy recommendations for people with disabilities. Luckily for me, this incredible woman responded to my message, begging her to come onto my show. So, here we are. I hope you enjoy my chat with the delightful... Tiona Studemeyer. Thank you so much for letting me chat to you. I really appreciate it. As soon as I saw your post on Twitter, I'm just like, yep, I gotta have it. I gotta have her on my show. I need to talk to her. I need to talk to her. <laughs> How are you feeling after going viral? It's been kind of wild. Like, I didn't expect it. I was just on Twitter just tweeting, you know, just casual. 
Like I barely get would get any interaction on like my really random tweets. And for some reason that one just took off. And I remember checking my phone and I'm like, oh, okay, this is <laughs> this is growing. Okay, let me just silence my phone because I kept getting notifications. And then like I just kept like gradually watching it. And then the next day people are like, hey, I saw you on Instagram. And I'm like, you saw me on Instagram. What are you talking about? <laughs> Oh, that's so crazy. What has the response been like? Like, have people been messaging you with their experiences? Oh, you know, there's always some bad, you know, the bad ones. We'll ignore that at the moment. But like, what has been like the positive? (laughs) Yeah, we don't care about them. Those people that are just, yeah, don't care about that. But what has been all the reactions of like other people with disabilities? Like just, just seeing that being going viral and being spoken about. It's been really nice. Like I've had other people who are like, hey, thank you for saying this because people like ignore us or people are afraid to talk about this. And other people are like, yes, it's funny because a lot of people who I didn't know found, like just automatically knew the conditions I had based off the tweet. Like other people with Ehlers Stanlow syndrome was like, huh, she sounds like she has EDS. And then they were like, yeah, I went to your profile and I was like, oh, Shit, she does have EDS. And I was like, oh, you automatically see me, my people. Oh, that's so <laughs> but good. it's just been so it's been so nice. It feels really good. Like there's just so many people who like were, you know, messaging me and were like, hey, you make me feel a lot more confident in being disabled. I got this one really heartfelt message from someone on Instagram. She found me somehow because I'm I made my Instagram private app, but um mm-hmm. she somehow had found my um Instagram handle and she messaged me and she was like I nobody knows that I'm disabled I've been hiding it for years but watching you and seeing the things you say it makes me want to be more confident you know and to be out about it and that made me feel good because I struggled a lot in the beginning with identifying with being disabled because at the time when everything first started up there was a whole sea of imposter syndrome and it still you know still gets me none of us are perfect I still have so many moments where I'm like, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not the one (laughs) for this. (laughs) You know, you were having that one good day, you know, you passed us being able for a good five minutes, but I don't know, it's just, it feels, it feels really good. I didn't know that that was going to be the tweet that got people to contact me and read my work and stuff, but it feels nice that it did and that like, my friends are like, oh, look at her. She's Beyonce now. And <laughs> joking yes. about me being like. <laughs> oh, that's so it cool. Good. Yes. And now you're talking to someone all across Australia. Who would have thought that would happen, hey? <laughs> that, oh my God, yes. Like, I didn't even know that people in Australia even knew that existed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I told I told my partner about you because he has um he has autism and he's just like, oh my god, that's so cool. People are actually talking about like you know sex with disabilities. This just never happens. God no, it never happens. Because as you've said in your article that you've written on your website, you know, oh what is it? Like, like the line you said, like you know, you're seen as not desirable or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You never you're, hear it. you're automatically you're automatically seen as someone who is just not desirable with no concept of sex and that's something really big with just being autistic because I myself am also autistic and I see that all the time but then you throw on being autistic with having a physical disability and people are like what people are attracted to you what are you talking about and I'm like what do you mean people are attracted to me I'm fine as hell yeah what does any of that have to do with <laughs> anything there yes <laughs> You've spoken about this on the website as well, like how there seems to be this thing like a disabled person only looks a certain way, even though there's like hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of disabilities that and many of them you can't even 
see from like just like looking at it it's great that you actually acknowledge that and just talk about the fact that a lot of people that have disabilities and a lot of those people have sex oh my god shocking yeah like whoa (laughs) newsflash (laughs) hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What you've also delved into on your website which is amazing because I just don't know how this isn't spoken about enough about sex toys and people with disabilities and somehow that is shocking even though it really isn't <laughs> why did like you it just shouldn't be <laughs> I know it shouldn't be that's the thing like people a lot of people use sex toys it doesn't really matter if they have disabilities or not but why did you feel there was a need to write that because there's so many different types of disabilities that affect our bodies differently. Like, for example, there are people who, you know, people who have vaginas that don't um, lubricate, self-lubricate, or if it does, it isn't well, and they need the assistance of like lubricant. There are people who don't have dexterity to move certain ways. So they need toys to stimulate their body parts. There's really good sex toys made for people who don't have the dexterity to hold on to the smaller ones. Like, The point of sex education is to cover all of those bases. We can't limit sex to just being penis and vagina, and that's it. Like, we already have such a huge issue with foreplay being seen as a separate entity from sex altogether, where it's not a valid part, and people don't think sex is sex unless there's some kind of penetration going on. That goes, you know, that trickles into, you know, lesbophobia, where people don't think it's valid for two women to have sex unless there's some you know penetration happening but some disabled people can't do penetration whatsoever whether it be because they don't like it it's uncomfortable it's painful it's just not their thing but it's still valid to talk about how the other ways that we have sex like sex toys are a big part of that it's a part of the experience because as I said sex isn't limited to penetration and we should be able to cover all the bases of how sex looks for everyone because we don't all have sex the same way and that's perfectly okay. Absolutely, yeah. And then another thing as well that you look at on your website, on your blog, is something I personally can relate to because my partner was diagnosed with autism two years ago and you spoke about what the the effects of being diagnosed later in life, in particular as an adult and the effects of that. Something I want to ask is, when you figured out that you had autism and, and obviously like you get a bit of an idea that you have autism before you like even ask a doctor because a doctor will say like, no, not at all. You don't have it. Not at all. It's just in your head, whatever. Did you have these thoughts in your head where you think what behaviors of mine are quote unquote autistic or and what are neurotypical? Like were you trying to then analyze like what behaviors did I adopt just so I seemed quote unquote neuro- neurotypical and what ones actually meet like autistic behaviors? Did you have those thoughts going in your head? All the time. Like it took me a good couple of years to really figure it out. And even now I'm still recognizing my own autistic traits. But I remember like just sitting down. A lot of my friends at this time period had started, you know, either self-diagnosing or getting official diagnoses from doctors. And they're like, 
yeah, I found out that I'm autistic and suddenly it all makes sense. And like they would share with me their own traits and everything. And I'm like, huh, that's familiar. Okay, I'll put a mental bookmark there. (laughs) And then over the years, I just kept gathering that kind of knowledge. And then I started really thinking about my upbringing and my experiences growing up. And I'm like, you know, there there just wasn't something right. (laughs) Like I always felt like something was wrong with me and I couldn't understand why I seemed to always be speaking a different language to other people like I was walking around speaking simlish while everyone else was speaking you know English or whatever and no matter what I said it always seemed to come out wrong and I would see other artistic people talking about this and I'm like wait you mean you deal with that too and then I started realizing huh why is it that all my autistic friends seems to understand me without me having to over explain myself? I constantly deal with the fact that sometimes the things that I say don't come out the way that they like, they don't make sense to other people, but they, they, they sound crystal clear to me. I know what I mean. I know what I'm trying to say. I know the point that I'm making, but then I'll speak to neurotypical people and they're like, girl, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I talking about? I'm, I just said it. And they're like, that doesn't make sense. And then I'll go to my autistic friends and they're like, yeah, no, I, 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 get, I get exactly what you mean. I'm like, okay. So it's obviously, it's obviously like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not neurotypical at this point because how in the mm. hell is it that everything that I'm doing and saying and all my experiences don't seem normal? And, you know, of course, normal is subjective, but there's such a stark difference navigating the world being autistic versus being neurotypical. And I always felt like I just didn't fit anywhere no matter what I did until I started you know going down the journey of recognizing my own autism do you think that you realized that you were autistic do you think that has affected you growing up do you think that if you were diagnosed younger like things would have been better been worse like would have been any different that's something that I think about often and it's kind of mm-hmm. hard because like I grew up severely bullied for essentially the entire time that I was in public school up until junior year and I know that kids are dickheads. I was probably going to get bullied regardless of if I was diagnosed because I knew autistic kids in school who were treated horribly regardless of the fact that they were, you know, diagnosed. Even the kids who had, who were diagnosed with Asperger's, air quotes, and they were supposed to be the good autistic people, they were still bullied. They were still treated like shit by other kids because kids are assholes and don't have proper education on neurodivergencies half the time because our school our school system doesn't really care to make kids understand so I probably would have still been bullied but I would have known why I would have known that it wasn't my fault and I wouldn't have internalized it so badly so I probably wouldn't have struggled with my own self-image and self-love as much as I did because I thought that I was just like a walking plague or something and dealing with that since you're like four years old up until you're like 16 that's 12 years of internalizing that and having to work through it probably could have had some of that you know alleviated had I known what was going on I possibly could have had better coping mechanisms um especially if um I did get diagnosed and I also my family accepted it and was able to teach me you know different social cues and you know not to have to mask because I spent 12 years masking to the mm-hmm. point where I didn't even know who I was until I became an adult. 
So it's like a lot of layers and I think about it often, but I know that if I had that understanding, I at least would have had a better shot compared to, you know, what I actually got. And since that, since when you've realized that you have autism, what has that, what has that been, the discussion been like with your family? Did it click for them? They were just like, oh yeah, actually. Yeah. Now that we look, recognize the traits and stuff. Yeah. She actually maybe does have autism. Unfortunately not. Most of my family still doesn't know. Mm-hmm. I know that my cousins, because they, they're friends with me on Facebook, they see, you know, stuff that I write. They know that I am, but my family isn't the kind of family that really talks about that stuff. Like yeah. I recall when I was younger, when my brother was in kindergarten, my brother's teacher theorized that he could possibly have ADHD. That's something that I also have. And my mom like was completely against it because she thought, which is a common thing that the teacher was just trying to medicate my brother and wasn't actually trying to help him or anything, which I couldn't, I can't blame her now as an adult due to, you know, recognizing the medical trauma in the Black community um, and the amount of people who do just armchair diagnose, you know, people without any look at their actual traits. But this is also a woman that saw my brother every day in the school. So I do believe that there was, it was a possibility that he is or was displaying traits that got the teacher thinking that. But due to that, my mom never got me evaluated for it, um, especially because these traits aren't, there isn't a proper display written out of, for traits specifically for Black girls, it, but especially for just girls or autism in general, because the, the model is based around white autistic boys and men. Mm-hmm. So I, even if I had been evaluated, the likelihood of me be, being diagnosed wasn't going to be very high because my autism and my ADHD displayed as me being very talkative in class or being very spacey and stuff because I just either was too stimulated or overstimulated but those traits are labeled as bad traits when you're a black child in school so Mm -hmm. I would have just been deemed a problem instead of actually having what's going on be recognized so I haven't been able to sit down and have those conversations with my parents. I've mentioned it in passing with my mom. Yeah. But I just haven't had the chance to really sit her down and go, hey, this is this and this is that. It's something that I will eventually do. But me and my mom, like our relationship is kind of strained over the years. So we just got to the point where, you know, we're like really cool and we kiki together and everything. So I want to get more knowledge on it and get some good resources to bring to her. So that it makes it easier for her to get it because I don't think my mom has any experience with autistic people, not that she that she knows of. Mm. So it'd be kind of hard to go, hey mom, this is what I have, and her go, oh yeah, I know exactly what that is. That's not something my mom has experience with. So it's something I have to work myself up to to get that kind of uh, conversation going with her. Mm. It's sad how it's like that with late diagnosis of like certain disabilities. Like if it's for some people that I've spoken to, they've said it's almost like as if they're coming out, like, and they're coming out and they like mm-hmm. saying like, I have this disability because it feels like they, if they say something and they let people know they have this disability, they might get treated differently. They might get treated less than, or they might get, um, what's the words? Like, like you, when you get like wrapped around a blanket, like people think like, oh, you need all this help now and when really you yeah like they the same as you're mothering you yeah mm-hmm, yeah has that been like that like say with friends that might not be on the autism spectrum has that been like that for you like you felt like you have had to come out to them and be like 
hey, I'm still the same though, but just so you know, I've realized through some thinking and research, I actually have autism. Somewhat. I'm blessed that a lot of my friends are neurodivergent. So Mm. when I was like, hey, y'all, I'm autistic, they were like, hey, girl, me too. And it was just like a nice bond there and it deepened our friendship. Um, With other people, I haven't had that experience when it comes to my autism, but I've had that experience when it came to my physical disabilities where people started treating me differently because I can't do the things that you know, I used to be able to do, or I'm a, you know, compromise, so you can't just invite me somewhere all willy-nilly. Um, I'm, I possibly have Maxwell activation syndrome, which if that's the case, that takes, you know, the high maintenance factor up even higher because I, there's extra steps I need to protect myself. So I've experienced some people, you know, pushing away from me. I experienced a lot of ableism from former friends, which is why they're former friends. Mm. But at least where I'm at now, you know, I have, a, there's a lot of understanding. There. Um, and it, it also helps that I talk about it more. And I see my friends talking about, you know, ableism more. And they talk about, you know, not doing things or saying things that directly harm autistic people and treating people like shit for things that aren't, you know, they're not weird. They're not normal. It's just neurodivergent traits or, you know, being considerate about things that affect disabled people who are disabled in other ways so I met basically I met like a nice area with my my friends where there's different levels of understanding and accountability as well as accessibility with everyone but for the most part like they see me and that's what's important that's so good you got that that circle of friends because that that's definitely well needed when you're going through this so I, hate, I hate this cliche, cliche word, but this just self-discovery kind of thing, <laughs> even though it's a very cliche word, but yeah, yeah, it's good to have that circle of friends though. But another topic that you've also spoken about enough, spoken about a lot on your website that again, similar with sex, with sex and disabilities is not spoken about enough. And I don't think people are all aware enough about is the fact that when you are going to I don't know, your doctors or your, your GP and you're discussing your, in particular, your physical disabilities, there is definitely some racism there in the sense that when it comes to your family history and your, your family's medical history. Would you want to elaborate on that? Because I think many people, in particular white people, would never think that that's every time you go to the GP, your family history, there's blank spots there due to history of racism and slavery. Yeah, so... In the black community, there's a lot, a long, dangerous, you know, hurtful history of medical trauma, still experience, you know, dying at the hands of doctors, and then our deaths not getting justice, you know, women dying in childbirth, or I should say people dying in childbirth, rather, um, who knew something was wrong, and they didn't get listened to because their doctors were like, basically, like, you're just overreacting or because they believe Black people don't feel pain the same way. So they think that we're just being dramatic. That happens so often and it's so common that it makes you want to not go to the doctor until the very last moment because you don't want to risk going and then not being listened to. For my family, it's hard to talk about, you know, going to the doctor and our own medical history because, you know, for starters, being chronically ill or being disabled is a is a very sensitive topic to push under the rug and you keep it confined to your household. If that, I didn't find out that my grandmother um, on my mom's side of the family had cancer until it was in the stages where we couldn't do anything about it. 
Um, I'm not sure how long she had known about it, how long she had had it or anything, but by the time we figured it out, she was in the hospital already. But just because she was my grandma and grandmothers, especially black grandmas, aren't gonna wanna burden their children and their grandchildren with their health problems. And I don't know how long it took her to get, you know, to the doctor to figure out what was going on or not. But I don't know any, barely any of my family's um, medical conditions unless it was an emergency. Like I had a cousin who we only found out that she had inherited her, her diabetes because she ended up almost going into a coma when she was young. And we wouldn't have known about that had it not like, cause who would have thought to take her to go get seen for it? I don't even know that, you know, I didn't know that diabetes could be passed on to children at all. So I, that wouldn't have been something that me as a child would have thought of either. Mm. But if it isn't an emergency, the likelihood of me knowing my family members past or present conditions is very low. I only, like I said, I only know those who were in a medical emergency or who have passed away as a result of these conditions. And that's, like I said, due to the long history of not being listened to when you go to the doctor. So often black people go to the doctor and because that we're in pain and we're turned away because we're accused of being medication seeking or it's not that serious with just being dramatic or if, especially if you're black and you're fat, they're like, oh, it's just because you're fat, lose some weight, eat healthier and you'll be fine. When we are in reality, you could possibly have issue with the hormones in your body and you don't know, but now you're being sent home instead of being received and seen and having people delve into your pain and everything to figure out what's going on. Basically for me, I've been in chronic pain since I was a teenager, but I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I started out with just one knee that would hurt every now and then to the point where I would forget about it by the time I would get to the doctor. And then in 2017, the pain started up and then 2018 rolled around and it was constant. And so I was like, you know, this isn't right. Like, this isn't normal. No one else is feeling this. I need to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor and she was like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I'm like, what do you mean this is wrong with me? I'm in pain. She just like prescribed me ibuprofen 800. So like, if you want, you can go and get an x-ray done. I lost my insurance right after that happened. I was never able to get the insurance. Done. Oh, gosh. So I basically struggled for several months before like just having to go to the emergency room and getting a several thousand dollar bill just to be barely coughed on. Like they did an x-ray and then they were like, there's nothing wrong with you. And then they gave me ibuprofen 800. Like nobody actually was like, hey, what's going on? How long is this pain? Hey, here's some information. Maybe we could, like there was no attempt to figure out what was going on with me. I was basically barely seen by the doctor and I still got like a $5,000 bill, bill from him when he was in the room for two seconds, basically just telling me nothing was wrong with me and write my prescription. Whenever I would, you know, try to reach out and talk about my pain and everything, that's something that's automatically pushed back against unless other people are coming forward. Like, yeah, I've been pain, been in pain forever and, you know, nobody's been doing anything about it. I didn't actually, like, it took me a while to get my, my current insurance where I could see a doctor in for the first time and have a doctor literally sit down look me in my eyes and listen to me about what was going on and that doctor is the reason why I have the diagnoses I have because she fought for me mm -hmm. ironically enough that doctor is family friends with my pediatrician so oh, wow 
it, everything ended up, you know, coming back because my pediatrician was amazing like that, which she wanted to always make sure, you know, everything was okay. Especially because I came out premature. I had several, you know, chronic problems as a baby. So she was already always trying to make sure everything was okay there. But none of the doctors that I'd seen prior to my current doctor cared enough to actually listen to me beyond me saying my knee hurts and then try and give me you know, a painkiller for ibuprofen which literally does nothing and honestly it fucked up my liver a little bit so mm-hmm. I don't take it anymore mm-hmm. but that's so common like I talk to other people and they're like yeah I got written off as non-compliant because I wasn't agreeing with the methods they were trying to use on me because they weren't listening to me I kept getting forced to go to physical therapy instead of people trying to figure out what was going on with me in the first place how do you send someone to physical therapy when you don't even know what they need to be in there for. But they didn't care. They thought the issue was that I was inactive and I just needed to work out. And I kept telling my rheumatologist, hey, hey, I need you to see, this isn't working. And she didn't care. She wasn't listening to me. And that's the kind of stuff that turns you off from going to the doctor. If it weren't for my my primary care physician, I would have just gave up because I thought my rheumatologist was the last stop and she wasn't, she didn't care enough to hear what was going on with me or that she possibly misdiagnosed me or anything. It's just so frustrating that like, it's great that you have that person that's fighting for you now, but it took so much time. It took so much energy and the financial side of it all, like, like that would just be so frustrating that, you know, you pay all this money for someone to, their job is to care for you. Their job is to help you to, you know, so you're not thinking every single minute of every day, what is, what is happening to my body? I know something's not right, but no one seems to care enough as much as I do. Like that would just be so frustrating because, you know, you're also taking time off work, time off school to do all this. And they're just, you know, just giving you something that you could have just done, like, you know, quick Google online or something like that. And you're paying thousands of dollars. Like that's just, yeah. oh, like, like that's what I think is like the true fight there is to keep persisting and going. Cause as you said, that is why so many people just remain undiagnosed. What is something that you really want people then to know about those that are suffering through severe chronic pain? What do you want people to really know about that? For starters, it may seem like it's inconvenient to you that this person is in pain all the time and they have to cancel plans, but it's not about you. I had so many people upset with me because I am in pain all the time and I had to cancel plans to the point where they won't invite me out anymore because of the one time I had to cancel. It may seem like it's inconvenient, but this is my everyday life. You know, we exist in pain majority of our lives and we're constantly having to accommodate others instead of accommodate ourselves. We always have to figure out the best ways to manage our pain whether it be having to push through to do something we really wanted to do or take a rest. And sometimes when we are resting, it's because our body is making us rest. It's not because we want it to, it's because our body basically got enough of our shit and it's like, listen, I can't do this anymore. You have to lay down. Like it's mentally exhausting. It's, it fucks up your self-confidence. I remember having an entire mental breakdown when I really realized that I was in, I was disabled and I was having all these problems because I knew that this was going to be a fight for my life now like I'm going to be dealing with this forever and I thought because my partner isn't disabled I thought that he was suddenly going to 
you know, want to end things with me because he didn't sign up for a disabled girlfriend. He signed up for a girlfriend who could do all these, all the things and go all the places and have all the energy. And that's not me. And every day I'm getting further and further away from who that girl was. And that's something that he has to adjust to. And I'm like, well, what if he doesn't want to do it? What if, what if I'm, you know, destined to just be here alone now because who wants to be with someone like that? Because we constantly see people literally writing think pieces, blog posts about how they are so, it's so hard for them dating someone disabled and how they, like, they don't want to be their caretaker, even though no one ever asked them in the first place. I've never asked my fiance to be my caretaker. He does the things that he does because he wants to. I'm trying to hire a caretaker anyway, because my boyfriend is not my caretaker. Unless, like, unless that's something he wants to do, it's not a role that I'm just going to throw onto him. We don't even live together. There will be no point in that. But so many people treat others who are in chronic pain or who are just disabled like they are the ones who are most affected by it. And it's selfish because you don't stop to think about how this is affecting us. Like, yeah, it sucks that, you know, you wanted to invite me out and I had to cancel, but I can't leave my house because I'm in so much pain. I can't get out of bed. I have, I'm on day 27 of a migraine and the light literally feels like I'm being burned in my eyeballs. I'm dealing with something that I have to deal with every day for the most part. And it's not easy. It's not something I can just pack up and put away and put on the shelf when it's convenient for others. Another thing is that some of us use mobility aids. We all use them differently. We all use them for different conditions. Stop thinking that there's three types of disabilities in the world and getting upset when you're seeing us using them. I have so many people quote retweeting my tweet like, well, how does she have sex if she's paralyzed? And I'm like, where did I say that I was paralyzed? What? Where are y'all getting this notion? I'm literally in the picture that's being shared around of me on mm. Instagram. I'm sitting in my power chair with my legs crossed. And people are like, well, how is she fucking if she's paralyzed? She can't move. Someone <laughs> oh literally God. said to me, someone literally said to me, fucking her must be like having sex with a or having sex with sex doll that just makes noise. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, first off, you're showing how you actually feel about people who do deal with paralysis. Mm. Second off, I'm not fucking you. So I don't know why you're imagining what sex with me is like, because only one person does that. And if he wanted to, he could very much say that that is not what sex is like. Like, so we can we can put a stop there. But then I wrote about this in my article. There was no point in me correcting these people mm. because, for starters, I'm not about to elevate myself above someone who is paralyzed or who does have who it has had limbs amputated because they have fulfilling sex lives as well. Anybody, literally anybody, can have sex. There's a lot of things that stop us from doing so. But you can't just look at someone and go, oh, they don't have sex. You don't know what nuances are going on. Like there are some people who literally can't because of, you know, the way their anatomy is. There's some of like um, some people who have a um, vaginal prolapse. It's very common with people who have EDS. Some people's, you know, vaginal cavity just isn't made for penetration. It just won't work that way. And it's very uncomfortable and painful. But as I said earlier, penetration is the only way to have sex. So literally anyone has the ability to take part in sex as long as their sex is accommodated. Everyone's disability is not the same. There are other people with EDS who experience things differently than me. 
Some people have milder symptoms than me. Some people have more severe symptoms than me. It's the same thing with my ME. I have myalgic encephalitis. I'm sitting up now, but some days I'm not. There are some people who haven't been able to get out of bed in literal years. I sometimes I'm unable to just get out of bed for a couple hours or a couple of days. So I haven't reached that point. My ME does is getting worse. So I don't know what the future holds, but we can't just look at all disabled people and paint all of our experiences with one brush and call it a day. Disability is an entire spectrum that completely depends upon what access we have. There are people who have my conditions who are rich and they have, you know, all the access to things that I could only dream of. That doesn't, you know, of course, invalidate their condition or anything, but the way it looks for them isn't going to look the same for me because I live alone. I have two cats and unfortunately they can't get things for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a, a huge, huge range of experiences. And also like, it's important to actually listen to us instead of assuming what you that, that you know about this. There, you, there will never be someone who doesn't have my condition, who knows more about my condition than me. Because like I said, my condition doesn't look the same with everyone else who has it. We, like, we all experience it differently. You won't know about how my condition affects me until you listen to me. I am the most proficient person in my body in my experiences. I know more about them than anyone because I live in it. This is my everyday life. Same way my rheumatologist told me I didn't have EDS. I knew that I did. So I found a geneticist who told me, yeah, you do have it. She didn't know because she wasn't listening. People need to actually listen to us. We have important things to say. And just because we're disabled doesn't mean that we're unable to do so. You just need to figure out how to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And instead of just thinking like instead of just thinking like, oh, that person doesn't quote unquote look disabled. Actually, instead of just using your eyes, maybe just listen, like actually listen to what that person has to say. Listen and look at the context of it. As you said, like wealth has such an impact on people with disabilities because some people can afford people to like do extra care for them and some people can't. And the Mm -hmm. same thing as well, as you said, with disability is such a spectrum in the sense that there are some days that people with disabilities like a day, like some days people might be bedridden and cannot move and cannot do anything. And then there's other days they're pretty okay, but then they're quote unquote passable as being neurotypical. Do you feel like then sometimes with your disabilities, like because they, that that since they, you know, they differ day to day of how it affects you kind of thing. Do you feel like that sometimes you feel like people then think like, oh no, she's neurotypical. Oh, she's fine. Oh, she's feeling better now. Oh, she's all good now. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Honestly, all the time. Because yeah. I I use a power chair and I use crutches. And sometimes I go without both. It all depends on the day. And I have a neighbor who's very annoying. But he'll, he sees me in, on my different days. And if I'm not using my mobility aids, he's like, oh, you're feeling better. And I'm just like, dude, I'm disabled. <laughs> I'm not feeling better. I'm just able to walk to the, ga- to, to the trash can for once. But guess what? If I had to walk to the mailbox, I'd have to go get my power chair because there's no way I'd make it there without passing out or dislocating something. It just the way you see me isn't representative of, you know, how I'm doing because I'm also stubborn and I have horrible memory. Sometimes I forget my, my mobility aids because I do it chronic migraine so often I'm permanently in a brain fog. Mm-hmm. So I'll forget, hey, you have things that help you and I'll just walk out the door because I was, I've been so adjusted to not having these things 
that my brain's default is to forget that they're there. I have to keep one of my smart crutches in my living room and another in my bedroom and my power chair in my living room so that I have something no matter where I'm at in my house because I'll just forget and I'll be walking around struggling. I have braces on my couch where I'm sitting. I have braces in my bedroom because they have to be everywhere because a thing, a, tr- a symptom of my ADHD is my object permanence is horrible. If I can't see it, I forget that it's there. So when things are stored in closets or put away on shelves and everything, I can't find them. So I'll go without using them. And people are like, oh, you know, she's doing good. She's not using it today. It's like, no, I'm just an idiot and I forgot my freaking mobility aids. Or maybe I'm just feeling good enough to do this small thing. But I'm probably going to realize halfway in between that I probably should have a mobility aids because my condition is so dynamic that I can be doing good and in one second everything goes downhill you know having the best day out and about and then my chronic pain really flares up and I can't stand anymore and I need help like everything is so dynamic that you can't there's no way to look at me and tell you know what condition I'm in there's just there's no way like no matter what I'm going to have a limp and a wobble and a stumble in my walk. Um, I'm probably going to be sitting slouched over because I can't hold myself up. Like the only way to really know what's going on is to ask me. And I'm probably just gonna say, you know, same old. <laughs> there's, <laughs> it's also, it changes so much every day that there's nothing new, there's nothing old. I'm kind of just here and my pain might be okay now, but in two minutes, it might like shoot through the roof. So I'm just in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so appreciative and I'm sure many other people are so appreciative of the fact that you t- put so much time and energy being so vulnerable and just writing the stories that you do about your experience with your disabilities. I'm very appreciative of it. And I'm sure many other people are as well. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad that you invited me on and this is honestly really wonderful. Thank you everyone for tuning in to today's episode of the Nasty Woman Club. I highly recommend giving Tiana a follow on her Twitter page at T underscore Spoonie. That is T-E-E underscore S-P-O-O-N-I-E. Also, please check out her blog, which is available on Medium. That is medium.com at T Spoonie. Tiana also has her own Ko-Fi account, which for those that don't know is a platform that allows people to donate money to Tiana as a way of saying thank you for putting in so much time and putting in so much effort in educating them about her experience with ableism and racism. So please donate even a couple of bucks and show your support to this fantastic woman that is changing so many people's lives. Now, as promised in my last episode, I will be announcing next Monday's topic of the day. The topic I will be ranting about on Monday next week will be rich splaining. Essentially, what rich splaining is, is when a person who has zero experience of living in poverty or being poor, yet they give patronizing advice to those that are experiencing financial distress and are struggling to get out of poverty. That is what I will be ranting about on Monday. But I want you all to join the conversation. Tell me when you have experienced rich splaining. 
Have you ever had someone try to give you tips on how to have a savings when you can't even get a job because we're living in a pandemic? Tell me how a person has judged you because you only have $15 spare every week after you pay bills and they tell you you need to budget more. Give me your examples of rich planning because whew, I am ready to rant about it on Monday and I would love to hear everyone's thoughts, opinions and feelings about this topic. So feel free to send in your voice memos or messages to the Nasty Woman Club Instagram page or email me at hello at thenastywomanclub.com. Cannot wait to hear all your thoughts, feelings and opinions and I guess I will hear from you all and you'll hear from me on Monday. I'm your host, Demi Lynch, and this is the Nasty Woman Club. Stay nasty, everyone.